back them dark and dusty drapes Let in some light Tell the bellboy come and get my trunk Cause I'm leaving here Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. I'm Zachary Scott Johnson. Hey, before we start running uh, today's episode, we wanted to make mention of a couple of things. One, as many of you may have heard, Meryl Streep has signed on for the sequel to Mamma Mia, which will be her first sequel. We actually knew that when we taped this episode, and yet somehow both of us forgot that. So we don't talk about that in this episode, but we wanted to let you know that, yes, we are aware of it, and uh, we'll talk about it in our next episode. Uh, Similarly, uh, there was a great big cast announced for Meryl Streep's next project, the Steven Spielberg Pentagon uh, Papers movie that's being made right now. We are aware of that too. That was actually announced after we taped the episode, so we will get to that as well next week. Uh, Just a friendly reminder that uh, if you would be so kind as to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast on whatever uh, podcast platform you use, we would greatly appreciate that. We appreciate the great reviews that have come in so far. And uh, if you want to email us, our email is MerylStreepPodcast at gmail.com. We're ready to start the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you this morning, Ms. Meryl McNally? I'm excellent. How are you, Zach? I'm good. I'm a little tired. It's been a real busy weekend. How about you? Yeah, same, same. I had, uh, I was singing at a show Friday and Saturday night. And you were singing? Strike last night. And yeah. Nice. What were you doing? What kind of show was it? Um, oh, uh, a local dance studio here in town likes to, and instead of doing a traditional recital, they, they put together, um, um, a production, um, with all of their dance numbers and sort of interweave a story and our theater company helps them do it. And then we, um, we provide singing numbers and scenes so that the dancers have time to change and things like that. Oh, sure. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So I did that Friday and Saturday night for them, which is really fun. Those those little kids sing. It's adorable. Yeah. Cool. Nice. We're we're happy to be back. It's good to be talking another uh, Meryl movie. It's been actually quite a while since I we know. talked about a Meryl movie, and this is a really good one. Yes, it is. Oh my gosh! And I think it's it's in it's in uh, both our top five, isn't it? It yeah. is. It is. Yeah. I I think if we go back, it's it certainly is in mine, and it I think will stay there. But you know, before we even yeah. dive into that, let's do our our first segment, which is the what have you been watching lately? It hasn't been that long since we chatted, but have you been watching anything particularly interesting over the last couple of weeks? Um, no, I'm still watching the Tale, which I talked about last episode, and it's so compelling and still very stressful. Um, um, you know, the only thing I have watched is this small, low-budget Australian film called William Kelly's War. It was made in 2014, and it's a World War I story. Hmm. And, I mean, it was made on such a low budget, the director cast, like, his 
sons and his wife, and they made it all on his on his ranch. And in in some ways, you could tell it was it was low budget because uh, because of the acting. It wasn't necessarily bad; just a little removed. But the the special effects and and the the direction he did and the cinematography was really quite impressive for how low budget it was. It surprised me. And it was, I I was impressed with it. It was interesting. It's on Prime, Amazon Prime, if anyone wants to check it out. Cool. But that's the only thing I've had had time to watch, really. Okay. Okay. Well, that sounds like an interesting one. Um, I watched a couple of things i watched a movie called the founder which um was stars michael keaton um and it was going to be an oscar movie last past cycle and i'm not sure why it wasn't it's a it's a really great performance a nice small movie it's um it's cool i i was a little surprised by kind of uh the characterization they made it kind of look like a comedy in the in the trailers that I saw are very lighthearted and and parts of the movie are but you kind of get a sense of he he's not really that nice a guy you know the guy that he's playing is kind of right. cut, cutthroat in a lot of ways in a way that kind of surprised me um but very good vehicle for for Keaton who's who's really I mean like we talked about that in another episode his renaissance is really interesting to watch he's made a lot of really good movies over the last couple of years and is on quite a run I think overall he's really really knocking it out of the park lately i think yeah yeah he really is so good for- I, I i really i've i've grown to love him i i didn't i didn't like him when i was younger it's not his fault I, he scarred me in beetlejuice and so i've never really for a long time i wasn't ever able to watch him and then i finally got it i, I really love him i think he's brilliant yeah um but it took some time <laughs> yeah um are they officially doing the Beetlejuice sequel? Do you know? Remember that they've been talking about that. I don't know. That. I heard rumors about it. There were some. There was some news about it, and then uh, it kind of dropped off the dropped off the map. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah. We'll have to check. Maybe we'll get an answer from somebody and let some people know. So I watched that. I would recommend that. I also watched the first season, which sounds like a lot, but it's actually not because it was, you know, eight or nine or ten episodes, and they were all only you know a half hour each so you can knock it out in a morning if you try um the the first season of an hbo show sarah jessica parker's new show called divorce um oh yeah how is it i'm so curious about it it's good it again is kind of not what i expected it to be not in a bad way um i i've so, like I say, I kind of, well, I, I kind of ran through the whole thing. Uh, I watched like five or six episodes all in a row, and I was doing other work at the time, and it was just kind of on. And you know, the first episode I, I liked, and then, you know, by the time the fourth or fifth came along, I was a little bit checked out. And then when I came back and watched the second part of the season, I really liked it and was totally engaged with the second half. So I'm not sure if I was just watching too many in a row. Um, I, right. I, I guess it's just one of those shows that maybe you don't want to binge the entire thing consecutively. I think a little breath helps because I really found it refreshing to come back to it after a little bit. Um, Interesting. Kind of, it's very much the opposite in terms of tone of Sex in the City, of course. It's kind of the, the other side of it. And um, Thomas Hayden Church is her co-star. And actually, I really like him in this show a lot, too. I think 
Sarah Jessica Parker is always pretty good. Um, Thomas Hayden Church. I, I don't know if I've seen him in much besides Sideways. Have you seen him in in many things? Well, I used to watch him in Wings. Oh. <laughs> when I was young, the, the sitcom was like, yeah. um, Tim Daly and... Stephen Weber. Oh, yeah. He play, I think his name was Lowell. He played, he played sort of a slowish mechanic. He was the comic relief, and he was great. He was great in it. It was a fun show. Huh. But no, other than that, I I really haven't seen him much either. I like his I like his work on this show a lot. He he kind of almost steals it. Um, so it's it's interesting. Um, yeah, I, I like it. Again, I would I would recommend it. Tracy Letts is in it. Um, Molly Shannon is in it. There's some there's some good folks in it. It's kind of a smaller project, all things considered. You know, it's kind of a it's basically just this family and a couple friends and and what they're going through. Um, but very, you know, kind of, I, I don't really like the term mature acting, but it kind of is, it's, it's mature. It's, it's adult, you know, not that sex in the city wasn't, but it's, it's a very adult show. And, um, by the time I got to the second half, I was really enjoying it. So I'm looking, I know they're doing another season, at least another season. So I'm looking forward to it. I'll be, I'll be continuing to watch it. Yeah. I'll check it out. I'll definitely check it out. I've been curious about it. I, um, I really like Sarah Jessica Parker. I do she's, too. Yeah. I it, think she's great. She's it, got it. I don't know. She's compelling for it, me. Yeah, me too. It's not a flashy show. I think that's part of it is, you know, yeah. Sex and the City was very flashy. I don't have HBO, so I'm yeah. not sure in terms of like the ads that they run for it, you know, in terms of the marketing and stuff. It's again, it's a, it's a smaller intimate show that's going to appeal to a probably smaller demographic than, um, Oh, yeah, a lot sure. of their other shows and it can be yeah. kind of bleak it's it's not overly bleak but it can be you know it's not a hilarious show that's not the goal I, it is a comedy but it's not you know laugh out loud comedy it's it's a different kind of of comedy so but anyway i recommend yeah. it i think it's it's good so let's i did i did watch something else i forgot oh okay <laughs> Go ahead. Because I've seen it before. I revisited, if anybody out there has seen this, the 1983 TV miniseries called The Thornbirds. Oh, wow. And it's with Richard Chamberlain and Rachel Ward, yeah. Brian Brown, Gene Simmons, Barbara Stanwyck. Yeah. And it's based on Colleen McCullough's book, The Thornbirds. And I... Um, I saw it when I was really young. It's what my mom loved it when it aired on TV. And part of the reason she named my sister Megan was after the main character, Maggie, in, in this in this story. And um, for, for anyone who doesn't know it, it's about it's about a, a priest who, who gets in trouble and gets relegated to um, the outback in Australia for his for for breaking his vow his vow of obedience. And there's a wealthy, wealthy landowner played by Barbara Stanwyck, who is very Catholic and falls in love with him and kind of in, kind of loops him in with the promise of leaving all her wealth to him in the church. Mm-hmm. And she brings her brother to her, her ranch to help care for, for the livestock and his family and his youngest daughter's name is Maggie and of course the priest is immediately taken with her and it, it spans like 60 years of this family's life right 
and sure. the you know forbidden love affair between the priest and the daughter Maggie, and it's um it's the most epic melodrama, and Richard Chamberlain is really fantastic. Yeah, he, he's so good in it. He's just the right amount of vain and ambitious. And uh, yeah, I highly recommend it. The book is really good as well. Christopher Plummer is also in it. It's pretty star studded. Oh yeah. Yeah, and it, it won all sorts of awards at the time: Golden Globes, Emmys. It was huge. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was huge. What What in the world made you revisit and, that? Okay, so um, it was sort of when I something everybody should know is that when I when I watch things, I leapfrog. So one of my favorite books of all time is A Town Called Alice. And um, it's about um, this. It, it's about these women, these prisoners, of, these women who are prisoners of war in Malaysia, and they're marched around Malaysia the entire war, and many of them die, and they end up meeting along the way, meeting this Australian soldier who helps them, and then it, it cuts to the aftermath of the war and what happened to those people. So. Um, they had made a mini series of it in 1981 and you can't find it anywhere. And I have wanted to see it forever. And so I went digging for it and I found somebody, I found like an obscure copy of it on YouTube and, and watched it. And Brian Brown plays the Australian, the Australian soldier in it. And, um, He's also in the Thornbirds, and I loved him in the Thornbirds. And so I was like, you know what? I want to rewatch the Thornbirds. So I did. Okay. <laughs> so I did watch a town. Ta- I did watch a town, a town called Alice as well. So, okay. Um. Yeah. So, yeah. It, so that's what I do, though. I leapfrog. So if you want to go find it on YouTube, God bless YouTube for having all these things that we would never be able to see ever again in our lives <laughs> ever. Right. Well, and the thing is, is if you go on YouTube, you can't search a town like Alice and have it come up because they use special characters oh. to write out a town called Alice. I'm assuming so copyright yep. didn't, you know. So, and I've not, I found it by searching, you know, free episodes or whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay. sorry. I'm encouraging illegal activity. <laughs> well. <laughs> no, nobody tell. <laughs> is it is it illegal to watch is it illegal to watch it? I would assume it's probably illegal to upload it, but I'm not no. sure if it would be illegal yeah. to watch it. Probably not. If somebody puts it up there, no, there's I nothing. Don't, no, that, I don't think so. You're not, but who knows? Know. So anyway, that was my that was my sort of long, winding, winded 1980s miniseries adventure. Yeah. I recommend both to anyone, by the way. Well, what both are you watching this week? I did not expect the Thornbirds. <laughs> so keeping... I know. But that's good, Ke- keeping us on our toes. Yeah. Oh, I'm just so nostalgic about it. It's like there are moments that are so bad, but it's still so good. Um, I don't know what I'm going to watch this week. I um, I really I really wanted to go see um, Wonder Woman. Oh yeah. And yeah, you know, I want to. It's it's the first it's the first female director to be handed one of the superhero movies. And she's one of the only female directors that has worked with a budget over a hundred million dollars. Right. And I just I want to go support the ladies. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to have time. Maybe next weekend. 
Yeah, I do too. You're right. It is something that's the kind of movie we should be getting behind. For me, it's a, it's more a thing of, I, it has nothing to do with Wonder Woman. I just, I'm not a huge fan of that genre in general, but I think it is the kind of thing we should be supporting it. I'm going to try to make a point to go see it too. Cause that's, you know, we need to yeah. send a message that we're interested in, in movies like that. So I think, yeah, I think we should do it. So, um, yeah. Okay. Well, speaking of female uh, fronted movies written, not directed by, but, um, you know, starring two very strong females, uh, Postcards from the Edge is our movie this week. So how did you find uh, the, the film to be revisiting it? Was it as good as you remember it to be? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Period. Not <laughs> better. Yeah. Uh, every time, every time I watch it, there's something new there. There's something that's sort of you know, I get little tiny brain explosions because they're all so amazing. Yeah, it is. It is something. I um, I watched it twice. I watched this movie quite a bit, actually. Um, I watched it once regular just to, re, you know, revisit it, of course, for this. Uh-huh. And I watched it with the commentary. Have you ever watched the, the commentary with Carrie Fisher for this? I have not. It, I have not. It's kind of I interesting. Just get it on, uh, I just got it on Amazon. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because it, um, it's the commentary is obviously a number of years later, you know, back in 1990 when this movie was made, they would have put it out on VHS, which of course did not have commentary tracks. Um, right. So it, it was revisiting it some unspecified period of time later and looking at it uh, through her eyes several years later was kind of interesting because she... Uh, um, you know, she's, as she always was, pretty honest about things. So she, you know, would talk about things she liked about it. She also was kind of not critical of it, but she would say, I'm not a fan of this. She's like, I wish they didn't do this. Like that, the big scene on the the stairs, you know, the big fight that Shirley MacLaine and, and really? Meryl have. Yeah, she was like, I don't like this. <laughs> she, she said there was, you know, another fight that she had or another fight that the two characters have. And she says, this is good. I'm not a big fan of the other one. And, you know, little things like that throughout the whole thing that she was pretty honest about. Um, Did she say why? Um, you know, it, my suspicion is if you if you listen to the whole commentary track, she starts to kind of go off on this thing uh especially in the second half of the movie where you can tell she has a lot of guilt about how her mother is portrayed in the movie and in the sense oh. in the sense that it was kind of bigger than she actually is she kept saying things like you know if i wrote this now i would be a lot meaner to myself and a lot nicer to her and little things like you know things that i hadn't even really considered which is that you know like late in the movie when uh, doris mann crashes her car into a into a tree you know from drunk driving oh, yeah. like debbie reynolds wasn't an alcoholic you know or, i mean at least not publicly i never got this right. sense that she was so there were all these things in there that were kind of exaggerated versions that you know i think she felt like people might be looking at the movie as if it were a documentary and kind of judging Debbie Reynolds for, right. for this, you know, for all these things that really weren't entirely accurate. It was very, um, 
you know, it was a movie and it was based on her. You know, I think the, the Meryl Streep character is in a lot of ways close to her, but the mother character was definitely a bigger version of, of Debbie Reynolds. Although she yeah. also she also says that Debbie Reynolds really wanted to play that part. And Mike Nichols wouldn't let her said she wasn't right for the part, which is hilarious to me because it's basically her. That's you know? hilarious. Um. It, rem- it reminds me of um, a, this is a tangent that has nothing to do with, with Meryl Streep, but it reminded me of something I always thought was really funny. And I remember it like 20 years later, which is that uh, it, one year in the golden globes, Jerry Seinfeld was presenting best lead actor in a comedy. And he, it made reference, you know, like he made a joke out of it saying that he had been nominated in that category many times, but Michael J. Fox's new show at the time, Spin City, came on. And so they nominated him and Jerry Seinfeld was the odd man out. So he wasn't nominated. And so he said, so basically what you're saying is you believe Michael J. Fox as the mayor of New York City more than you believe me as myself. (laughs) And I thought it was a really great (laughs) line. I don't know why I remember that, but I always did. Um, fantastic. And so basically the same situation where Debbie Reynolds really wanted to play this part and couldn't. Uh, Mike Nichols really wanted Shirley MacLaine to do it. So anyway. I wonder if part of it, and who knows, I wonder if part of it is that she's, she's just too close to it. Although, I, you know, from the commentary, I mean, it sounds like, I find it really interesting that Debbie Reynolds wanted to play it in the first place. Yep, me too. Um, I think it's a testament to their relationship. Yep. yep. And I and I think that's in the movie too. Yeah. For sure. I, I think something that's communicated very well is that those twi- two women love each other. Yeah, yeah. E- even if, even if, even if, um, you know, Carrie Fisher's character, Suzanne, gets, uh, gets overshadowed. Right. Well, and she made reference more than once to the fact that um, as kind of a as kind of a penance for it, she was writing her mother or something, which I assume was we should have talked about this in the um, Carrie Fisher tribute episode we just did. Um, have you seen the? And it, there is another connection because Shirley MacLaine's in it too. Have you seen the made-for-TV movie that Carrie Fisher wrote called These Old Broads? Have you heard of this movie? No. Okay, so uh-uh. in 2003, she wrote this movie for her mom, Debbie Reynolds. It was a TV movie called These Old Broads, and it starred Debbie Reynolds, okay. uh, Elizabeth Taylor in this bizarro cameo, um, <laughs> Shirley MacLaine, and Joan Collins. So basically, the the story was wow. the, the three of them, not Elizabeth Taylor, but the other three, so Shirley MacLaine, Debbie Reynolds, and Joan Collins, had been on a hit television show, but they they hated each other. And then years later, they were doing a revival for it. And Elizabeth Taylor plays their agent. And it is, I mean, it is so strange. I can't even, I can't believe I forgot to mention this when we were talking about the, when we did the Carrie Fisher tribute episode. This is one of the big ones I wanted to talk about because it is so weird. And I hate to say it because of the, talent involved but I mean honestly one of the worst things I've ever seen in my entire life it is so bad like painfully bad painfully awkward (laughs) it I I'm not I really want to see it now (laughs) oh 
I'll send you the DVD because I never want to see it again. <laughs> oh my gosh, I think I, I think I have to see it. I you, think I have to suffer the pain. You should try to make that your what I watched for next time because I okay. So we can talk about it. Just Elizabeth Taylor in this movie. She's not even in it all that much, but you, do you remember when she presented at the Oscars or Golden Globes or something and Gladiator was a winning movie and there was there was all these like clips of her. She seemed drunk and I don't mean to make fun of her because I think it was medical. You know, I think it, there was uh-huh. something wrong at, at some, you know, like physically with her. But it it's like that through this whole movie. It's just like, what is going on with Elizabeth Taylor? She just seems completely out of it. And um, the rest of them, it's just kind of... Shirley MacLaine comes off fine. She manages to escape without, like, embarrassing herself. But pretty much everybody else does. It's just way too much. But anyway, we'll save that for another day. Um Oh, yeah, that's funny. So, oh, and you know what we forgot to do all is kind of having postcards for the edge, kind of a lowdown all about. Yeah, why don't so you do that? I mean, we've about it enough that everyone sort of Carrie Fisher. Um, our last episode about Carrie Fisher and, and Carrie Fisher just being an actress, phenomenal and um, to a, a novel called Post from the Edge that was adapted into a film by Mike Nichols. It stars Meryl Streep as Suzanne and Shirley MacLaine as her mother. And Suzanne is an actress who has, um, who's addicted to um, pain medications and um, ends up ODing after a one-night stand. And um, her one-night stand dumps her at the hospital where she gets her stomach pumped. She ends up in rehab. And um, in order to continue acting and for the insurance companies to cover her, on, uh, to work on film, she has to live with a res- quote-unquote responsible party, which is her mother. So she's got to move back in with her mother. And the film really is about their their relationship and their interactions and how they deal with each other. Yeah. Actually, in some of the reviews that I read, um, one of the things mm-hmm. that people didn't love about this movie is that it seems like it's kind of the first half is one thing, meaning it's about basically her like struggles with addiction and, you know, her movie career. And then the second half kind of becomes about her and her mother and their relationship. Did you find that jarring at all? Um, you know, when I watched the movie, I never really thought about it. And I did go and read some reviews, particularly Roger Ebert's review of the film. And I, I agreed with him. Um, you know, once he pointed it out that the, the first of the, I mean, that first, that first scene of the film, um, where they sort of establish her problem, it is very, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's painful to watch too. Right. Meryl Streep is so good. The opening scene of the film, you, I, I mean, it's this sort of over the top, they're filming a movie, but you don't know it. So it's the first scene of the film within the film. Right. And, you know, you can tell, and Meryl, you can tell Meryl Streep's character, Suzanne, is just a little bit off, a little bit loosey-goosey, and she's getting through it. Um, but by the end of the scene, she's messed up a line, and they've got a cut, and you sort of enter reality. And that's sort of something that happens throughout the entire film that I love, that they, they set up these sort of... Um, high-stakes film moments, you know, whether they're romantic or 
or in that first scene, um, you know, um, like a, political thriller or whatever yeah and then they they break it and they bring you back to they bring you back to reality and um uh yeah i kind of lost my train of thought but um yeah you know you start out you start out and you really feel you feel the burden of her addiction in those first scenes because right after that she ods and she ends up in rehab and then it does shift out of that Um, but I guess, I guess I never noticed and it never bothered me because these, um, Carrie Fisher's wit is woven throughout all of it. Right. Even that first scene, even when she ODs and she's in the hospital, even all the stuff with the doctor. So it didn't feel disjointed to me ever. Yeah, it it doesn't to me necessarily either. Like you say, I read the review and then I watched it after that. So I could see, and I don't think Ebert was the only one to to mention that. I think there were a couple other reviews that said basically the first half was better um, and that they kind of wished it had continued along that line. There were at least one other review that I read mentioned that. But um, like you say, it's not like they, it's also not like they completely dropped that storyline either you know what i mean like she the very last scene of the movie she's the movies kind of carry through you know she's a working actress and and a lot of it so it kind of mixes and mingles i think it's more that shirley mcclain doesn't show up until 20 minutes into the movie maybe even a little bit more than that you know so um i can see why that seems like it's it's a b story um but it's kind of the A story and the everything else, the the rehab and the addiction stuff becomes kind of the B story. So, um, yeah, it's really great cast again in this one. We've got Gene Hackman, um, Dennis Quaid, Richard Dreyfuss, uh, Annette Bening has a like one scene little thing. Mm-hmm. All sorts of great people are in this. Um, yeah, Oliver Platt's in there. Yep. Rob Reiner. And actually, I know somebody in this movie who I always forget who plays. So the, you know, Rob Reiner and Oliver Platt play two of the producers. I know the first one, uh-huh. uh, the guy who comes in on her first day on that movie. You know, she pulls up and he says, I'm here to make your life more miserable. That is yeah. that's my friend J.D. Souther, who's a great singer songwriter. And I always forget he's in the movie because I, I only. Really? Yeah, I only met him a few years ago. And he's got he's he has white hair, and so like seeing him before he had white hair always is jarring. I always kind of forget that it's him. But um, and another kind of interesting tidbit is Carrie Fisher is very free in her commentary, and one of the things she says is, "Oh, there is J.D. Souther. We had an affair." <laughs> so she just puts it out there that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's so funny is I is I I really noticed him. He's very charismatic mm-hmm. on screen. Yeah. he. I think this was actually maybe his first acting work. He hasn't done a ton of it, but he's been in a couple movies. And um, I think probably most notably is he's on the television show Nashville, or at least was for a while. But he's a he's a very well-known singer-songwriter. He, um, he wrote some of the songs that were hits for the Eagles. He produced a lot of Linda Ronstadt's records, and they dated for a while. Um, he's, he's just one of those guys who's been around forever. And so, you know, nice. it makes sense that he and Carrie Fisher would know each other. And 
um, you know, as Carrie Fisher said, they had a little fling. So that's part of it, too. <laughs> um, my other favorite tidbit um, on that front is, you know, she's kind of going through the movie and she says things like, oh, that would never happen. Oh, that would happen. That would never happen. And, you know, kind of making light of certain things in the movie and what was exaggerated and what wasn't. And when it got to the scene with Meryl and Annette Benning, who is only in one scene and the context for the scene is basically Annette Benning. Uh, it's found out that they've been, they've both been sleeping with Dennis Quaid's character. And in fact, on the same uh-huh. day. And so Meryl Streep goes to her character and, and, you know, tries to get some information about, you know, hey, you know, are you still seeing him? Whatever. And so Carrie Fisher on the commentary track says something like, Oh, you know, well, okay. Me and Beverly D'Angelo were sleeping with the same guy. <laughs> so, I was trying to figure. <laughs> I was trying to figure out. I think that must be Chevy Chase. I mean, that's the only person that kind of makes sense. I mean, I guess it could be anybody, but it seems yeah. like Chevy Chase because there were always rumors of Carrie Fisher and Chevy Chase, and I think Beverly D'Angelo and Chevy Chase have kind of a long history. So I assume maybe that's who that was. Oh but. yeah, that would make sense. That would make sense. Annette Bening has actually one of my favorite one-liners in the film. I'm sure you know. <laughs> I'm in it for the endolphin rush. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was going to ask you, do you have other favorite lines from this movie? I wrote a few of them down because they're just so good. Oh, gosh. There's just so many. I'm, I mean, everything that comes out of Meryl Streep's mouth. I didn't I didn't write any of them down. Which ones did you write down? I think my, my favorite one is the, do you always talk in bumper stickers line? I love that line. <laughs> she says that to the rehab. You know what I love? You know what I loved about that is that she carries it through. Yeah. She, you know, like the joke carries through because the, the you know, the supervisor at the rehab, you know, um, continues on. She's like, you do. Yep. You're still doing it. <laughs> yep. There you go. <laughs> um, you know, it, I, I like the instant gratification takes too long line, although that was in the book, too. Um, li- little things like they she said, you know, I'm middle age. And Shirley MacLaine says, I'm middle age. And she says, how many 120 year old women do you know? <laughs> and really, even some of the looks there were there were two looks that she gave that just killed me. One is at the guy who starts singing to Shirley MacLaine when he when she visits Meryl's character in the rehab yes. for the first time. The looks that Meryl Streep <laughs> shoots that guy as if to say, I cannot believe you're doing this. I, I love that. It's so amazing. It's so amazing. The other thing that really kills me is when she's eating, she's eating from the bag of chips, walking down the lot. And she stops by the costume, the costume trailer. Oh, yeah. And the director and the costumer are talking about how she's overweight and they can't put her in shorts because she's got a And she crawls. She's, like, hiding in the clothes rack. Yep. And her her facial expressions, because the clothes, the clothes hide her face except her eyes. Right. And she's, like, trying to hide. And it's, oh, man, it's just brilliant. It's It's so good. Another, like, tiny little moment is... Um, so when she, there's a scene, I think not actually it's in that same sequence where she's in that cop uniform and she's tied to a cactus. And so they're giving out, you know, a couple of directions and right before they start the scene, somebody says, okay, there's live snakes in the shot. So everybody be careful and then walks away. But her reaction to it is great because nobody had told her. And so she starts looking around like, what? 
has, <laughs> oh my god, where are the live snakes? <laughs> yeah. She's just uh, part of it, I think, is that, you know, even though it's written as Carrie Fisher, you know, like it really fits Meryl Streep. It like fits her voice. It fits it her does. style somehow. Her style of comedy is that, you know? It's yeah. amazing. I think actually, I think my favorite, favorite moment is when, you know, she overhears the conversation about how she's overweight. Everyone is talking to her after one day of shooting that her performance, she's holding back, that she's not having any fun, that she needs to relax. She's getting it from all sides, and she's basically about to have a nervous breakdown. And she's got to climb, climb, on, a, climb on a wall and pretend like she's hanging from a building. Right. And the wall is horizontal, <laughs> right? She's like laying on it face towards the camera. And, um, you know, she's got to give this line like, help me, help me. And she's so distraught that instead of acting within the context of the film she's making, she's actually saying help me as if, as if everything's just come to a head. And she lets go of the edge of the building and does this gesture. Yep, I know exactly what and you're it, talking about. I think it's the most... I think it's probably the most thought of moment from the movie because I, I think they may have used it in the trailer even. I think so too. Well, it's um, a cool shot. It yeah. really looks cool. Oh, and it's so funny. She's just like, I give up. <laughs> yeah. This was her third pairing, I think, with Mike Nichols. I know it was at least the third because they had done Silkwood and Heartburn before this. I don't know if I'm missing one, but I think it was their... I don't think so. Yeah, I think it was their third pairing. And Carrie Fisher, again, I guess because of the commentary track, um, you know, she was saying basically that she couldn't believe that they were going to make this movie, you know, like this wasn't something that was planned. This, I guess Carrie Fisher and Meryl Streep were not friends before this. They didn't know each other before this. So it wasn't like, Oh, you know, passing it along to a friend. This was, she couldn't believe Meryl Streep wanted to play her in a movie. She couldn't believe Mike Nichols wanted to direct it. And of course they became great friends afterwards. Um, and during, she said she was there the whole time they were filming, but, um, you know, there was something about it that just seemed like, you know, she had been friends with her forever and just knew her voice that well. But, you yeah. know, I think it she did say she followed Carrie Fisher around for a while to do some research. She also Meryl Streep admitted that she took a substance that she had never taken before as part of her research for this movie, which I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, wow. Um, I don't know if it would have been cocaine. I guess it doesn't really matter. That was the first thing that came to my mind is something that she might have tried. But um, yeah, so who knows what it was? I guess it doesn't really matter. But um, yeah, I don't know. All sorts of all sorts of interesting stuff with this movie. Um, I feel like I'm talking too much. What what else grabs you about this movie? I don't know. You know, I watched the last last time I watched it. I <clears throat> I noticed more of Mike Nichols' direction. Interesting. And um, and I talked about this a little bit earlier when I got off track, but, but that, that constant bringing you back to reality through what you see, not just not just what the characters are saying. So, it, you know, that, that, that first scene establishes that you are a totally make-believe world, and, and then it just throws you back into reality when she messes up her line and you really realize that she's absolutely high on something 
And um, they do it again later. I loved this moment. So Dennis Quaid, Dennis Quaid plays the guy she has the one night stand with and ODs with, and he dumps her at the hospital and doesn't leave his name. And he runs into her on the set of her film after she's been in rehab. And they end up, they're, they're they're on a film lot, and they end up in front of this really pretty, quaint, blue house with big brim and a little picket fence and flowers and they have this sort of very romantic scene and um, she walks off and it cuts to him and, and the house moves out from behind him like somebody's got it on a trailer and it just moves and all you see is like the dead film lot behind him all right and it just reinforces that sort of, yep, this probably is not reality. Yep. And um, it's moments like that that I really, I really, really appreciate. Also, um, the moment uh, where her mother throws her this big party. She doesn't want it when she comes home from rehab. And everybody asks, you know, Suzanne's character to sing. So, you know, she gets up and sings and it's beautiful. And everyone asks her mom to sing and of course she gets up and blows her out of the water and I appreciate that scene um, for really establishing that it's not just a complete rivalry between the two women during the mom song but you know Mike Nichols cuts to Meryl Streep quite a bit and there's so much love there and so much admiration and you know there's just that one moment at the end where she's like yeah she's totally stealing my thunder and then she breaks out of it again and goes straight back to just pure excitement and love for her mother i just think that's so real yeah you know you do get those mixed emotions it's all one or the other yeah the that scene is definitely one i wanted to talk about for a couple of reasons one the singing obviously um but yeah the other is what you hit on and you said it better than i could it's like you know she's it's there's complicated layers that she's playing in this scene it's layers of you know how much is this really bugging her versus how much how much of her reaction is for show and how much is legit you know very very real and authentic and um there's just a lot going on in in what she's responding to from Shirley MacLaine's character. I think Shirley MacLaine gets to play like the big character and, and Meryl Streep has to play this, you know, she's at times pacifying and other times, you know, sometimes within the same scene, sometimes she's like her biggest fan and also completely annoyed by her within the same scene. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of amazing to be able yeah. to do that. Um, the singing um, this is so she had sung in Silkwood, but this is kind of the first time that like audiences got to hear Meryl Streep sing. She sings a Ray Charles song called You Don't Know Me, which um, yeah. is mentioned in the track that um, Meryl had the idea for that song. They, they didn't necessarily have a song in mind to do and Meryl suggested that song. Um, oh. Yeah, which kind of lends it. A little bit of credence also so my one of my grandmothers uh and she has since passed away but she um she was a big Meryl Streep fan and in particular a huge fan of this movie and so when she used to come see me play the song she would always request is you don't know me because of that movie <laughs> always that was always That's the song amazing. that she asked for yeah um but uh, Carrie Fisher mentioned in the uh, audio track that 
while the the scene in which Meryl Streep is singing that, she said Meryl's mother said that was the most like Meryl moment, like she is in real life, that she'd ever seen on screen. That that was like the most real Meryl Streep moment that she'd ever seen on on film so oh, far. Oh wow! Which I thought was pretty cool. Oh, that's a that's a great little piece of trivia. That's yeah. really neat. And then, like you say, Shirley MacLaine gets up and uh, does the song. It it seems pre-contrived, doesn't it? Like like she knew all along that she would be singing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, oh, yeah. And had plans for it. And in a similar way, so um, they had Stephen Sondheim. That's a Stephen Sondheim song that she still sings called I'm Still Here, which, of course, has been in, like, every you know, actress above the age of 40, like their show, you know, it's just like one uh-huh. of those iconic songs and actually their Vegas show, their touring show to the Midwest. <laughs> yep. And in fact, this was in Debbie Reynolds act after this movie came out, she put it in her act, which is another layer of, of course she did. But you know, there's all sorts of people. If you ever see the, um, documentary on Elaine Stritch. I can't remember what that one is called, but it's on Netflix and it's really great. Um, she, she sings this quite a few times in that there's like long sequences where they're rehearsing this song. And so anyway, lots of people do it. Betty Buckley, I think recently did it too. Um, but they had Stephen Sondheim rewrite some lyrics specifically for Shirley MacLaine. And my favorite thing about this, have you seen the, um, it's again on YouTube, Meryl Streep getting interviewed at the 92nd Street Y. Have you seen that particular no. interview? She's no. she's done it a couple times. The 92nd Street Y has kind of an interesting series where they show mostly new movies like when Florence Foster Jenkins came out she went back and did it again but every once in a while or a couple times during their season anyway they'll do older movies and kind of revisit with it so basically in like 1999 or 2000 so roughly 10 years after Postcards from the Edge they showed the movie and then they had Meryl for this interview on stage in front of all these people and uh but what was what was kind of interesting is she Actually, it wasn't all that much about Postcards from the Edge. It became like a Q&A with the audience where they asked about whatever they wanted to ask her about. And um, But one of the things she did mention with Postcards from the Edge was that, you know, when they, when she said her favorite thing really about any movie is the first cast read-through, you know, when everybody's in the same room because it never happens again. And it's like everything is fresh. Everything is right. brand new. And she said that she got there and, you know, like Shirley MacLaine, even though, you know, Meryl Streep was the A, you know, was the top of the call sheet. Shirley MacLaine kind of got the the head of the table, you know, seat and, and prime yeah. everything. And um, said that she had basically those same moves that she did in the movie. It said that she came, you know, and just like knocked that out of the park at the read through and, and did it in such a way that wow. like, you know, was kind of like, yeah, I'm in this to win it kind of thing. And uh, so it was. It struck me as kind of interesting that That's she, amazing. yeah, she just went for it. So good for her. How did you? Uh, uh, I know how you feel about this, but what about Shirley MacLaine in this movie? Well, I I love her. I love her anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I. She's really. She's so good. She's so good. She just. She's not. It's it's an over the top character, and I feel like it would be very easy for an actress to overdo it. Yep. And I don't think she did. Like it's very authentic, even in its 
absurdity, you know? Yeah. Um, and and I uh, I love that moment when she comes to comes to the rehab, but she's late, you know, and she sort of makes this entrance, but then is very loving, but then also is totally in heaven that those that that she's got fans, you know, there who are gonna. It's not about her daughter. It's absolutely not. It's, it's all about her. Yeah. Yeah, she's great. She's only 15 years older than Meryl Streep in real life, so it's kind of interesting to have her as the mother in this. I mean, it's possible, of course, that but, you know. interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, they both have they both have had wonderful things to say about working with each other. You know, they both, like, presented awards to each other in the meantime and always have, you know, great, you know, things to say about each other. My, at that 92nd Street Y interview one of my mm-hmm. somebody asks Meryl you know what was it like working with Shirley McLean or something like that and she said well Shirley's larger than life many lives you know because of the whole reincarnation thing and it was again just a very yeah. good very good line um yeah there was all sorts of actually and another kind of interesting tidbit in a way it's another like weird connection thing is because Annette Benning's in this movie and Annette Benning uh-huh. is they're now sisters in law because Annette Benning is married to Warren Beatty, who's the brother oh, of yeah. Shirley McLean. Yeah. So go figure. Oh yeah. Random, random, Hi. random. Um another yeah. another kind of interesting thing is uh a couple scenes that were shot that were later cut. So Jerry Orbach spent at least three days uh, filming scenes as Suzanne's father, um, who in real life, Carrie Fisher's father was Eddie Fisher, who was a famous like crooner, like Frank Sinatra kind of singer. Um, But all those scenes were cut. And uh, John Cusack uh, filmed some scenes as a friend of, of Suzanne's in rehab. And those scenes were cut too. So it'd be interesting if they, yeah, I think they just came out with this movie on Blu-ray recently, but it'd be interesting someday, you know, maybe for like an anniversary year or something, maybe they'll put some deleted scenes. They none of that footage has been publicly released yet. So it'd be interesting to see that stuff and see what was shot. I think. Yeah, definitely. There is, um, um, there is an actress in this that I love, Robin Bartlett. She plays her rehab roommate, Arisa. Oh, yeah. So Robin is in, like, she, she like, she shows up in the most iconic films. And she's really a fantastic actress. She's in Moonstruck. She's in um, Regarding Henry. She's in, I'm trying to remember what all she's in. And I... <clears throat> I always, I always see her and love her. Like her, I don't know, her perform- her performances are so small and so nuanced. She's my favorite in Moonstruck. Yeah. She works at the bakery that Nicolas Cage is at, and she's, she's lovely. I love her. There were a couple other things. I made some, some notes here. I, I really loved the chemistry between Meryl Streep and Gene Hackman, too. I don't know how you felt about that. Yes. I, it was really lovely. I mean... Gene Hackman is playing a film director. He said he based his character on Richard Donner, who's a real, you know, I think he's a guy who directed Superman. So that would make sense because he would have directed Gene Hackman in that. Um, but, um, you know, a lot of, he he's good at playing the heavy. You know, he kind of, really kind of embarrasses Suzanne, you know, by yelling at her in front of a lot of people, basically saying, you're not going to ruin my movie, get it together. 
Um, but he can also be very loving and supportive and, you know, gives her another opportunity after, you know, she goes to rehab in the middle of this other movie that they worked on together. So um, I'm not sure if he's supposed to represent a real person in Carrie Fisher's career or not. I guess it doesn't really matter. Um, right. But I loved the chemistry between the two of them. I wish they had found something else to do. I know Gene Hackman's retired now, but which is kind of a bummer, especially considering his his last movie that he was in was that one with Ray Romano, that Welcome to Mooseport or whatever. I don't think... Some, oh, that's unfortunate. I know. For somebody <laughs> as iconic as him, that's how you want to end it, you know? Like, I think we should drag him out of retirement to do another one more really good one. Have you um, had any exposure to or read any of the stories about... Um, and I, I doubt he was like this on the the edge, given the type of character it was. But how he is on film set? Um, I've heard a little bit. I've heard, you know he, he's supposed to be pretty soft spoken and not very, um, you know he's I I don't know what what don't you tell me what you were thinking? Well, I didn't have any exposure to it at all. I read an interesting article about him um, on the set of Hoosiers. And he actually, um, he actually harassed, the, the director was a first-time director, but he actually was so harassing to this guy that like, he almost had a nervous breakdown. And yeah. he got it together, and he made a beautiful film. But I think Gene Hackman actually takes a Dustin Hoffman approach. My method is your method, and you will eat my method. Like, the only way, the only way that Gene Hackman could... Um, uh, really create a powerful performance was to create tension on set. Interesting. Hmm. And um, it was the first time I had ever read anything like that um, uh, about him. Um, but he'd obviously been acting for a while when he had done Hoosiers, and it was it was it was shocking for the director because. He said, you know, in, in the process when we were casting, he was really collaborative and we had great discussions. And then the first day of set, he ate me alive and he did it on purpose. Wow. And uh, it was just bad from there. So it was really interesting. And it could be one person, you know, experience. And it could be, you know, right. some, two, some people get together, two people get together and it's, you know, doesn't work. But. Interesting. So the way it sounded in this article, he was very intentional about what he was doing. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll have to. Yeah. We'll have to see. You know, your your analogy is interesting. I'm sure you know that Gene Hackman and Dustin Hoffman were college roommates. No, I think I must have known it at one time, but I have forgotten. Yeah. No, they were college <laughs> they roommates. Obviously, uh, they obviously they obviously put their heads together on how they were going to pursue their acting careers. Well, and you know how people can be pretty um, influential on other people. So, you know, if, if one of them oh, was yeah. going a certain route, the other might have, you know, upped the ante a little bit. I don't know. I guess I, you know, Gene Hackman's one of those guys who, like, you know, I he's never the first name I think of when I think of, like, you know, the great actors. But I really do think he's one of our great actors. I really do think he's somebody I who's... You know, just remarkable and consistent. You know, like his pretty much everything he's in, he's really great in. And, um, yeah. you know, he's not even in a lot of bad movies. Um, 
the no. the previously mentioned last one <laughs> being maybe the exception. But yeah, right. um, uh, yeah. So anyway, I just wish there had been a little bit more for the two of them to do. Um, so anyway, um, there this movie was nominated for a couple of Academy Awards. It was nominated for Best Actress for Meryl Streep, which she lost to Kathy Bates for Misery. Um, Mm-hmm. Also nominated that year were Angelica Houston for The Grifters, Julia Roberts for Pretty Woman, and Joanne Woodward for Mr. and Mrs. Bridge. Um, that was the year of Dances with Wolves. That was the big, ah. you know, best picture and best director. That year, Jeremy Irons won for Reversal of Fortune for Best Actor. Joe Pesci won Best Supporting Actor and gave one of the shortest acceptance speeches in the history of the Academy Awards for uh, Goodfellas <laughs> and uh, Whoopi Goldberg was kind of a surprise for Best Supporting Actress for Ghost although uh, Shirley MacLaine was not nominated for Best Supporting Actress which Carrie Fisher said Shirley MacLaine could not believe that it was not nominated for this movie and I'm kind of inclined to agree <laughs> yeah so am I actually it was kind of a stacked year besides Whoopi Goldberg. Um, Annette Benning, who keeps coming up today, was nominated also for The Grifters. Have you seen that movie, The Grifters? I have not. I just watched it within the last year uh, for the, ver- for the oh, first really? time. It's good. Um, it's kind of an interesting one and actually has a lot of connections to all the people we've been talking about because it stars Annette Benning, who's in this movie, John Cusack, who was supposed to be in yeah. this movie. And Angelica Houston, who doesn't really have a connection except that she was nominated against Meryl for this movie. Although, another tidbit from that 92nd Street Y interview, um, Uh somebody asked Meryl about Marvin's room and... um, said the question was you know could did you have your choice of which of the sisters to play and Meryl said yes because the script had come to her first several years before they actually made the movie and she was originally attached to play the role that Diane Keaton played which I can't remember which one is Bessie and which one is Lee um I can't either. It's been so long. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Meryl was going to play the Diane Keaton role and Angelica Houston was going to play the other sister. And then that fell apart and they got a different director and Angelica Houston bowed out. And so at that point, it was several years later and Meryl said that she had played a number of like really good mothers in a row and so wanted to play what she thought was a bad mother um, or somebody who made choices completely different from her own. And so she ended up switching to the other role. So anyway, there's connections to all of these people. But um, going back to the people who were nominated for Best Supporting Actress, it was Whoopi Goldberg, Annette Bening, uh, Lorraine Bracco for Goodfellas, which that's an amazing performance that Lorraine Bracco gives. Um, Diane Ladd in Wild at Heart, and Mary McDonnell for Dances with Wolves. So I think the argument could be made, you know, if you're going to put Shirley MacLaine in there, who do you take out? And it's it's a tricky question because it was... yeah. That's a pretty stacked field, so. Yeah, it's, yeah, it really is. Wow. So, anyway. And, and, you know, somebody always gets, you know, someone always gets snubbed. Yep, that's tradition. the way it goes. So the film, yeah. o- the film only wound up with two nominations. It didn't win either. Best Actress for Meryl and the song, I'm Checking Out, was nominated for Best Original Song. Meryl, do you know who wrote that song, I'm Checking Out? No. It surprised me because I didn't know. It was written by Shel Silverstein, that song. Really? Yeah. 
I don't know. That makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Yep. The band that played. Wow. The band that plays with Meryl in the movie is a real band, a great band called Blue Rodeo, who they're actually a really um, well-known, very popular band in Canada. They have like worldwide presence too, but they're huge in Canada, Blue Rodeo. So I would suggest, I'm a fan of that group too, so I would suggest checking them out. And they were, again, apparently Meryl suggested them. She heard them on the radio and really loved them and so wanted them to be part of this and made that happen. So, um, and... At the Academy Awards back then, they were, you know, still, I don't know if they still do this or not, but they were performing the nominated songs. And so Meryl Streep was going to perform the song at the Oscars, but she was very, very pregnant with Louisa. And so a few days before, dropped out and they got Reba McIntyre to sing the song. Have you seen the clip of Reba McIntyre singing this at the Oscars? I haven't, no. Um. It's kind of controversial because most of the most of the people on YouTube, uh, it, it, they basically all say the same thing, which is Meryl sang it better. You know, there are a few people who stick up for Reba McIntyre, but I think it's a nice version. I think Reba does a nice job with it. But what a lot of people don't realize is that in real life, ten days before this, Reba McIntyre's entire band was in a plane crash, and her entire band was killed was in a plane crash. Before. Ten days before this. Wow. I mean, I knew that had happened. I didn't realize the proximity to that at all. Right. So her singing this song there, you know, was really such a gift and such a, like, you know, such a real thing. So I just, if anybody's listening, don't go too hard on Reba McIntyre on YouTube because, you know, there was a little bit more to it than I think people were familiar with. There's also a clip of... um, Years later, Reba McIntyre came to the premiere of One True Thing, um, and Meryl uh-huh. saw saw her and beelined towards her, and she said, I have to thank you. And Reba McIntyre said, why? And she said, years ago, you sang, you know, uh, for Postcards from the Edge. And so anyway, there are reports that Reba McIntyre has said that she can never sing the song, and because that's what she thinks of is, you know, her band being killed in a crash Aww. and i think she was supposed to be on that plane too i think um yeah so anyway so be nice to reba mcintyre yeah right yeah wow quite a story oh my gosh yeah um i can't even imagine yeah anything else from this movie anything else you want to mention about this one no no i think uh, i think it's fantastic i recommend everyone it you will laugh you might cry um and you'll really and especially if you're sort of new to carrie fisher you will really get a sense of her humor yeah and her and her intelligence and um and her heart yeah and it's really it's good i had a few i'm just looking at my notes here and i i had a few other little tidbitty things that some people might find interesting maybe not um which is there's a line in the movie it's actually another one of the great moments that meryl streep has in one of the fights between her character and shirley mclean's character is you know shirley mclean is saying what you know what did i do to you and and she says you know aren't you you're so lucky that i'm your mother what if your mother was lana turner or um i can't remember (laughs) joan joan crawford was that the other name she used it wouldn't have been Joan Croft. I don't know, but that would make sense. <laughs> um, somebody else. And uh, 
it, it, I love Meryl Streep's reaction because she goes, these are my options, you and Lana. But in real life, Lana Turner was really insulted for being mentioned in the same breath as Joan Crawford. She 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 made mention of that to Carrie Fisher at some point that she was very insulted to have been mentioned in that in that light. Um, in another kind of very iconic actress, Janet Lee really wanted to play uh-huh. Doris Mann with Jamie Lee Curtis, who is her real life daughter. That was pitched at some point. Was Janet Lee really wanted to do this movie, which would have been interesting. It's another real life, you know, mother daughter pairing. It could have yeah. been interesting. I like Jamie Lee Curtis. I like Janet Lee. That could have been something. Um, yeah, absolutely. And then promise last thing was um, when Carrie Fisher showed this movie to her real life daughter, Billy Lord, um, Billy uh-huh. Lord a couple of times said something about Shirley MacLaine saying, who is she supposed to be? So I think that lends kind of more credence to the idea that like it was very much an exagger- exaggerated version of Debbie Reynolds and not... Right exactly who she is at Billy I think she was probably pretty young and didn't really understand that like oh she's she's supposed to be you know who was to to Billy her real life grandma she was just kind of like why is she acting like that um yeah so kind of interesting interesting. yeah anyway well should we move on to our other segments here sure all right um I came up with kind of a there's a, a loose thread in the movies that uh, Meryl Streep almost made this week, which is that she auditioned for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which would have paired her with Richard Dreyfus, who's in this movie. Um, she lost out on the role to Terry Garr, but she auditioned for Close Encounters of the Third Kind, according to the internet, which would have been cool. I could see her in that role. Yeah, yeah. and I want to put her in uh, Steven Spielberg. Yes. Now. Yes. <laughs> We were talking last time about how excited we are about the fact that she's doing um, a Steven Spielberg movie. This would have put her in another one. And actually, even though Close Encounters is seen by a lot of people as uh, a classic, it's kind of, I don't know. I think that really is a classic movie. And because Spielberg made so many of them kind of in close succession, it's not one that gets mentioned as often as others. And I think Close Encounters is one of his best movies. It's really an amazing film, I think. So it would have oh, been... I have a confession. What's, have I you, have a confession. Have you not I've seen, never it? seen it? Oh, you should. Yeah. I know. I know. I need to. And I love, I really, really, truly, deeply love Richard Dreyfus as an actor. Yeah. I, I love him. But I, I need to watch it. I do. Yeah. No, it's a good one. And I, I love him paired with Steven Spielberg. His work in Jaws and Always. Are it's two, they're two of my favorites. Yeah, yeah. I will even defend always with you. I think that's not as bad as other people think. It's maybe not their best work, but Richard Dreyfuss, Holly Hunter, John Goodman in the same movie, plus Audrey Hepburn. Come on. Oh yeah, whatever it is about that movie, I I um I I'm just obsessed with it. I love it. I know every nook and cranny of it, and I think it's beautiful and wonderful. And I, it got panned at the time. Yeah. It is a remake of a Van Johnson Elizabeth Taylor film, and um, uh, I don't know if Elizabeth Taylor's in that one. I think it's just Van Johnson. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't care. I love it. Yeah, I'm <laughs> with you. Um, 
Cool. So for our final segment today, we've got our six degrees. And our six degrees last time was with uh, Ruth Nega, who was one of the people we were talking about was... Um, Wait, was she nominated? I'm forgetting now. I was going to say was snubbed this year, but she actually made it in. She wasn't one of the snubs. Um, So good for her, for her work in Loving, which was a wonderful performance. So I think you and I might have the same um, person because I saw, you mentioned the fact when we talked about Ruth Nega, you said, oh, I've got one because you had just seen her on Preacher and I didn't know what that was. But in, in the meantime, I've seen... TV ads for Preacher, and now I think we have the same connection. D- you go yeah, ahead. Dominic you, Cooper. Yep, yep. Yeah, Dominic Cooper and Mamma Mia with Meryl Streep. Although they were both also in a movie called Warcraft, which I have not seen, but I know that they were both in it. Um, so Really? Yeah, Ruth Nega. and that? Well, Warcraft is some sort of game. I'm Somebody is going to be... Wait, Dominic Cooper and Ruth Nega are in it? Yes, are in a movie called Warcraft. Okay, okay, following. Which, which I is, think Meryl Streep did a movie called Warcraft? No, no, <laughs> sorry. Dominic Cooper and Ruth Nega. So in addition to Preacher, they're both in the film version of Warcraft, which I think is based on that game, Warcraft, I would assume. I don't know. Probably. The only other thing that I could think of with Ruth Nega without cheating and going to her IMDb was I remember that she was in World War Z, which is a movie that I liked a lot. Oh. Um, and so there's connections through Brad Pitt, of course. Um, Spy Game is one that came to mind. You know, he was in that with Robert Redford, who was in a couple movies with Meryl. Um, another one of my favorite Brad Pitt movies is Moneyball, um, which featured Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh-huh. who was in Doubt with Meryl. So there's connections with Brad Pitt, too. I'm sure we could find yeah. other ones. There's got to be connections with Joel Egerton as well. You know, yeah. Um, I'm loving yeah, there there were, and I thought about him too. Um, I couldn't think. Well, I've got one. Um, Great Gatsby with um, oh Leo. I love her. What's her name? She's oh, Carrie Mulligan Jeff. too. Yeah, Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, and yeah. also Leonardo DiCaprio from um, Marvin's Room too. Oh yeah, there you go. So, yeah. See, we can find them. It's just a question of. It's not a question of like, can we find them? If we can get them in three or four. That's like nothing. The question is, can we do them without researching? That too. <laughs> That's the goal. That's the goal. But I feel like I try to do it in like at most two steps. I take this game very seriously if you haven't figured that out. <laughs> so Yeah, like if you go to four if you go to three, four steps. <laughs> well if so you, good. if you need three or four steps to connect Meryl Streep that's kind of amazing because she's really worked with everybody, you know? I mean, like really there's so many connections. You should be able to get to her in, in two for sure. Um, the thing is when we get to the river wild, like we stole this game from Kevin Bacon. So do we get to use him? (laughs) (laughs) That'd be amazing. Uh Um, Uh so sticking with our, uh, our theme of me forgetting who we're doing next, who are we doing next for six degrees? <laughs> I completely forgot. Oh, so, um, uh, Dwayne Johnson. The oh Rock. yeah. 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 That one should be yeah. a little bit easier. I think for people, I'm going to give it some thought. I bet it is. I, I bet it is. Like, I'm just thinking like with the Fast and the Furious movies, we can come up with something, especially, especially the latest one. Cause more people keep, joining those casts. And oh, I just thought of one because of that. Oh, oh, I just thought of one too. It's, Dang, it was really easy. It's, 
it's like a it's a two step. Yeah. I'm sure it's the same one because of what you just said about the newest one. It's somebody who's in the newest one who wasn't in the other ones, I don't think. No, I actually went back to an old movie. Oh, God, what's it called? Anyway, we'll talk about it next time. We'll week. talk about it next time. We're giving it away. Um, yep. Cool. So, Meryl, do you want to announce what our next movie is? Well, we decided to go back in time a little bit because we've been doing we've been doing sort of mid career films and her newer stuff, but we've decided to go back to um, the Deer Hunter. Yes. So a little more serious, one of her early films, and uh, yes, so this, that will be an adventure. And you have never seen it, so and this is like the one time I've seen a Meryl Streep film. <laughs> you haven't. This is, I think, the only movie of hers that I haven't seen. So it's it's time to Hang on to, your hat. to knock it off. I know that's why I've been. <laughs> I there's a reason yeah. that I haven't seen it, which is that I'm nervous about it. But um, I'm I'm still looking forward to it, and I'll feel better after having watched it. Then um, it's not gonna knock you out for a couple days, like Sophie's Choice, but it might knock you out for like a day. Yeah. Okay. It's 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 heavy duty, but we can we can take it. I'll be ready for it. Um, Play you, like solitaire while you watch it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Stay disengaged. I know. It's also kind of uh, long, isn't it? Isn't it like a three-hour one? No, I don't remember. I think it's pretty long. I don't remember if it's. I I remember it feeling long for sure. Yeah, but it's got a um, great cast. I'm looking forward to it in that way. You know, it's great people and her yeah. her real life. You know, John Cazale's in it, who was her first, probably first true love right. before Don Gummer. So that'll be. I'm sure we'll have lots to talk about with that story and everything that happened um, there next time. But I wanted to say, you just reminded me too of something I meant to say about Postcards from the Edge earlier before we go. Maybe we can end on that note is like, this is kind of an interesting career point for, for Meryl in some ways, because, you know, like Cry in the Dark in 1988 was like, a long string of like dramas, very heavy dramas. And then, um, Oh, also a bit of trivia, you know, that first, uh, the, in postcards from the edge, that first scene of the like movie within a movie that we've been talking about. One of the crew members is wearing, um, a shirt for a cry in the dark because the alternate title of that, (laughs) that movie was evil angels. And so if you look, right. one of the one of the crew members has a, sh- a shirt that says crew for evil angels on it. But anyway, um, that's amazing. So after that, she started doing these comedies. So she did She Devil after that. That was the, the first in this sequence of four comedies. So it was She Devil, then this one, Postcards from the Edge, then Defending Your Life. And then finally, um, uh-huh. Death Becomes Her, yeah. So Death Becomes Her was the the last of those four. So she does these four comedies, these four light comedies all in a row, which is kind of interesting. And then goes back to very, very serious in House of the Spirit. So, But there's this, like, you know, she made one of these a year from 1989 to 1992. And um, I don't know. For me, this is probably the most successful of the four, the most kind of fully realized oh, yeah. of the four. Yeah, definitely. I think um, I think she devil and death becomes her. Now, I I do have a special place in my heart for death becomes her, but they're very sticky, both of them. 
Right. Yeah, Death Becomes Her, I think, is maybe the most popular of the four. Um, I don't know. I like She-Devil probably more than you did. I also got to talk to the directors that kind of artificially raised it for me a little bit. Um, But so we we mentioned last time that people should write us and let us know how we should be ending these episodes if we've got, you know, a tagline or something. I did hear from somebody. um, We keep forgetting to mention that people should email us directly at MeryllStreetPodcast at gmail.com. So people keep finding me and emailing me directly, which I don't mind, but... um, that one will awesome. get that one will get to both of us. So a couple people actually mentioned that um, the what we should do is play some sort of clip from the movie, either the trailer for the movie or you know an acceptance if there was one oh. around this time, which is a great idea. Thanks for listening, everybody. Good to talk, Meryl, and uh, we'll see everybody right. next time. Have a good. You give your hand to me, that Ray Charles tune, and then you say hello. Yeah. yeah. Keep going. And I can hardly speak, barely sing. My heart is beating so, and anyone can tell you think you know me well. Well, you don't know me. Such a terrific talent.